Welcome to the House of Expo Club. I am Rob, your host, and I've got most of the Quiet Council with me tonight. Of course, here is Rowan. Hi, Rowan. Hello. And Shane. Good evening, children. And of course, we have Drew with us. How, how's it going, Drew? You know, I'm plum tuckered today, but I'll, I'll model through it. Right it's on. been a long week. <laughs> cool. Uh, Raj, it, Roger's not with us tonight. Uh, he, he has a bit of a crud. So we are going to be talking about a couple books this episode. X-Men 51 and X-Men 52. And, but, but before we do, I have a letter to read to you guys. So we got an email from a fan, from a listener. And I want to share it with you. Oh, so they're the Wait. one. <laughs> yeah, the one fan, right? Um, so this is from Tony, and it says, "Hello, Quiet Council and Whisper Consortium." <laughs> nice. Yeah, he's acknowledging Shane has his own little faction. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> In this house, we listen to seven comic pods, and yours is on the list. Nice. We sometimes laugh, and we sometimes cry, and sometimes we fight over the things you make us think about. <laughs> so much, yeah, I know, <laughs> so much, that we now read along with you. Is there any way you could let us know at the end of each episode what you're going to read? You do it sometimes, but not always, and sometimes you don't read the X-Men. I like <laughs> Rowan a lot. She's got a cool perspective, and she calls it for what it is. Char likes Drew for his virgin perspective. <laughs> I love that phrase. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been accused of that before, but I like it. Yeah. That's going to be Drew's t shirt now. <laughs> virgin, virgin perspective. <laughs> and Shane for his silliness. Rob is good at reminding us about the history of these comics, and Roger just makes sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what we do you know? A first on the show. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Well, I think you need to take a look at yourself, Tony. No. <laughs> so, Tony says, we enjoy you all. Keep going, you guys. Tony, thanks for the letter, man. We appreciate that email. Um, so, reminding everybody, drop us a line and say, hey, we're at houseofxbookclub at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, he brings up a really good point, And that is that at the end of each episode, I should make it a point to say what it is we're reading next. Now, of course, I mentioned that that bonus episodes get dropped. However, if we, you know, if knowing that sometimes there's going to be a bonus episode, uh, you still know what to read next because the next regular episode is going to be those books. So I think we'll go ahead and make sure that, that we do that every episode. That's a good idea. Yeah, because yeah. the bonus episodes are... Thanks, Tony. Th thus far have been kind of out of left field like yeah. what's like we decided to watch the stan lee documentary and yeah yeah so uh but if it's not a bonus episode then you do you, i mean if you read what i tell you to read next and there's a bonus episode you'll still have read so that the next episode you can pick up and and follow along um so right now we're going to be reading x-men 51 or talking about x-men 51 and 52 X-Men number 51, the release date is October 10th, 1968. The cover date is December 1968. Uh, for credits, we have Arnold Drake writing, Jim Stranko penciling, John Tartaglioni inking, and Sam Rosen doing the letters. And of course, Stan Lee is his usual self doing the editing. The title of this story, The Devil Had a Daughter. I am pretty jazzed about this, I gotta say. But, but oh, inside the book... Now, even though the Jim Stranko is doing the artwork inside the book, they never say that Jim Stranko is doing the penciling. That was so confusing for me. Like, I I, that. If, if I if I hadn't known that it was Stranko, and in fact, I kind of forgot because you had mentioned it, and I had forgotten, and I went to read it, and and then it it says, "What does it say? Let me read it right now." Art, do we have to tell you? That's what it uh -huh. says. Uh, uh -huh. You kind of do because I had no idea, and then I got lost in a rabbit on a rabbit hole in a rabbit hole 
on yeah. the, the Marvel wiki, Marvel fandom, I think it's called. Uh-huh. And it was like, oh, Steranko did the art for that. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I do enjoy the art. I think we've already talked about Steranko and how much people, you know, I, I just love his work here. Let's, before we get into it, though, talk about this cover. I have never been cool with this cover. I love the man's art. I don't like the cover. I've never really known why exactly. It's a neat composition, but who is this guy? Who's this guy on the cover? He's not in the book, unless he's supposed to be Eric the Red. I mean, Eric the Red sounds like a Viking name, right? Yeah. This, yeah, this looks like a Viking with a big red beard. Uh, it it almost looks like Steranko read the script and drew the cover. And he's like, okay, Eric the Red, mutant Viking, sounds good. Uh, not really knowing the secret behind this new evil, you know, quote, evil, end quote, mutant, or, you know. And uh, so it, it it just threw me, the, the whole idea of this cover. But wasn't Eric the Red in issue 52 and not issue 51? He shows, yeah, he shows up at the very end. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So at any rate, let's, let's move on. I mean, again, unless you guys have comments on the cover. I think Drew might. I, I, well, I, I had said, I'd mentioned right before recording because I had to, you know, get it off my chest. This cover is such a disappointment come like coming off of issue 50, which is one of the best comic book covers I have ever seen for any comic book ever. So going from that, that like S tier cover to this like B tier, let's be honest, maybe not an A tier, maybe a low A, high B tier cover was a letdown is is a disappointment even though it's the same artist Mm -hmm. but i mean if we look at it too it's i think that i think that it has to do again we've talked about this number of times but it's probably the inker i don't i don't think that this the inker on the cover is the same inker for the book but it's definitely not the same inker for issue 50 right well tartaglioni does the inking for the for the issue Um, i think inking is generous i would think taking a giant crap all over the page would be a more accurate description. <laughs> okay. Well, we know how you feel about his work. <laughs> I've mentioned it before that like he yeah. was messing up the art. Um, I don't remember where it was, but I was like, yeah, this is like someone's, someone's favor to a, to a neighbor that is possibly has ties to the mafia. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. It's weird though, because I I do like the inking on this cover, but with the art, like, because it's very vibrant. There's a lot of color, and there's everything's popping. The shadowing's great. Um, I don't know if that's that's the inker who does that, but it I, it's done well. It just doesn't mesh well, which is interesting. It's like mm-hmm. two good products that don't equal one great product. Mm-hmm. Right. Reese's right. peanut butter cup set the bar for Drew, and it's just been downhill ever since. Yeah, thank God they never <laughs> tried to put jelly in those. Oh, Ew. Yuck. Well, let's go ahead and talk about this story. Oh, first, page one starts with this cool full-page title scene, right? I, I love that. I love that it's like this big lettering and you have the figure standing around the, the blocky lettering, like it had just dropped out of the sky. Uh, that's, that's Steranko style right there, man. And the it's shadow being cool. thrown up on the lettering is dope. It's pretty dope. Yeah. I love it. Um, so Magneto is the ruler of mutant city. Okay. He of course wants to get rid of the X-Men who want to rescue Lorna Dane from Magneto, who is apparently her dad. How about that? Uh, The team battles Magneto. They battle Mesmero and the mutants of Mutant City, and they try to take off with Lorna. Now, the place is crumbling apart, and it collapses on top of Magneto. Lorna stays to help Magneto, and the X-Men escape in in one of the evil mutants' ships. She stays to help Magneto because, well, that's her dad, and that's what a daughter's supposed to do. Uh, back at Bobby and Hank's apartment, Bobby's mad that they didn't rescue Lorna, and Scott tells him to stand down from the mission, that he's been, he's too emotionally invested. 
because of his feelings for Lauren Dane. The fight between these two guys ends, and Scott tells everybody that he has a plan. Not just a verbal fight either. It's a physical altercation. Yeah, there are blows. Mm-hmm. They come to blows. Uh, there's talk. Yeah, yeah. There's talk about one calling uh, Scott calling him a traitor, and you know it's it gets pretty heated. Next, we see Eric the Red, who tells the people of Mutant City to warn their leader Magneto of the coming of Eric the Red. Interesting guy. Interesting costume. He looks nothing like the guy on the cover. Right. Nope. How does Bobby know that Lorna is a, quote, kid with a heart and soul, and a soul that is a clean and fresh spirit? I, I'm paraphrasing, but I... Yeah. Kid with a heart and a soul and a clean, fresh spirit. Because she walked out into traffic and he saved her life, thought she was <laughs> cute, and let her stay at his apartment. That's enough for me. She's also a... I've also got another quote, top drawer item like Lorna. Yeah, top drawer yeah, How does he know one. these things? <laughs> well, I mean, they they spent five minutes together. Yeah. Also, let's let's consider how deceptive she really is. I mean, she's got green hair, but she was hiding it from Bobby. No, I'm kidding. I, um, she did dye her hair, but only to look normal, not green. I do have to say, though, in this whole issue, particularly in the back end of it, the characterization of Bobby was very weird like it was not the bobby that we know at all the characterization mm. of everybody in this book was weird all of a sudden they're all southern they're southern yeah candy southern no (laughs) (laughs) there's just all kinds of like they they all start talking like they're dropping the g's off you've been spreading around with the trowel um because there's no g at the end and then they're talking about just like there's all kinds of you know i'm you're hankering for a tussle magnet that type of stuff and it's like where did this come from i you know it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I okay for one i really love this story arc i love it um but i noticed a difference in in the writing in the sense that what you're saying is absolutely true but also beast is not talking as uh flowery as he has in the past mm-hmm. um and i'm 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 wondering if that's because you know drake's vocabulary is not as big as say you know stanley's or or you know maybe even uh Roy thomas's you know yeah but who, yeah who knows well that and there's there's odd there's odd pauses in the sentence structure mm-hmm. again I think I mentioned mm-hmm. it sometime before, but it went away for a while. And now it's like, and it even gets to the point where some of the balloons are almost placed inside there out of order. I don't think it was this issue, but there's an issue where I feel like it went, um, the balloon order was two, one, three. And, and so like you read the eye naturally reading from left to right read the second bubble before it read the first bubble. Yep. And uh, I was yeah. like, I was like, wait, what is going like? Or you'd have a, you'd have a speech bubble at the bottom of the previous panel. So you, you know, when you're reading the previous panel, you'd read that and then you go up to the next panel and like, that was actually the end of the panel that you're currently reading. So you, it was confusing. Yeah. There's yeah. Yeah, it's just all kinds yeah. of, um, it's very sloppy. We did bump into that road, and I did bump into that when we were reading these issues together. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't just me. I was like, man, I hope that mm-hmm. I was like starting to feel like I was just being an ass hat, but it was like this tell her, then, you know, pause. Then it goes down to another bubble that you're offering her a half interest in a bloody empire that would make Genghis Kong and Attila the Hun look like the Smothers Brothers. And it's like this grand, it's like this grand pause and it becomes a separate balloon when it's just a sentence. I love that the, uh, the X-Men is being played by the cast of Hee Haw. Yes. Um, (laughs) Where, oh, where are you tonight? Some of our listeners are like, what's Hee Haw? Um, (laughs) uh, It's probably best you don't know. Uh, Well, so, so here's something. I mean, okay, the... 
the scripting is kind of funky. What what I really like about this though is that we are getting some character development. You know, we're getting a hot-headed Bobby and a you know, his crush on Lorna and we haven't really had a whole lot of development up until now. This feels to me like they're actually making these storylines a little more complicated and giving us things about the character that are going to last throughout the years. Not specifically his crush on Lorna, because as we know, Bobby's current crush is somebody named Romeo, or <laughs> I I might be wrong about that because I'm not completely caught up, but no, that's right. That's right. It's yeah. yeah the dude's name is Romeo. So, um, but, but yeah, so, so I like that they're actually fleshing these characters out a little bit more. It seems random though, because it doesn't, it doesn't seem to fit with like what they had been doing before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. It is character development, but it's not character development. That's developing the character that's already been developed. Well, yeah. I, argue that there really isn't a whole lot of development in those characters anyway yeah i get you it's it's out of character for them i mean part of why bobby seems out of character is because we've been we did get some development from his um the the backup story and that's some development that we got and now we're getting this very bizarre um behavior from him that strikes strikes us odd it almost makes it seem like lorna has like a pheromone or something <laughs> yeah, yeah that's yeah, that, it does. that's accurate yeah like i'm sorry but she has magnetism <laughs> that's true we've seen it work that way yes fair <laughs> um i like that this issue introduces or at least has in it uh, two to me two very interesting characters um you know we've got angel the, this story arc yeah. introduces introduces Lorna Dane, and it introduces Mesmero, who I have seen in comic books from the 90s forward or the 80s forward, but never really known a whole lot about him. And it's kind of cool seeing where he comes from, like his first appearance. He's basically running a city of mutants in the name of Magneto. And I think that's pretty freaking cool. Yeah, it was just like out of nowhere. He shows up and he's got like this whole city. I'm like, wait, what? Oh, okay. Well, let's go with it because the art's rad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to, to to bring it kind of, you know, back to the characterization of, of the core X-Men, on page three, I found this extremely interesting. On page three, um, the very beginning, the it's it's only four panels the whole page but in the first panel bobby is basically like let me at magneto he's why is he doing this to the sweet kid like i'm gonna fight him and all the x-men are like physically holding him back and they're like oh no no we can't fight him no 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 and then at the bottom of the page the last panel all of a sudden they're like okay yeah we'll fight him now like why didn't you have his back the whole time you're here to fight magneto or you didn't know it was magneto when you got to the fight but you're here to you know kick some ass and take some names and fight the bad guys and then the ultimate bad guy comes, shows up, and you don't want to fight him. It made no sense to me. Like, did you guys notice that too? Yeah, that yeah. whole that whole sequence was odd. Well, there we go again. Another flaw in the writing. <laughs> right. The things with the art, I could kind of look past because, like, again on page three, the all the silhouettes with kind of the futuristic background. There were things that were really cool. Mm-hmm. The inking wasn't great, but the 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 writing just is really, really right. off. It's off the whole issue. Yeah, I, you know, I'm reading uh, Marvel's The Untold Story or Marvel The Untold Story and uh, by Sean Howe, and they talk a lot about how these books were rushed and they had to get, you know, sometimes they had to get somebody in to like finish it, but it they they're just at this point, sounds like there was a lot of pressure. And so I'm wondering if that pressure kind of made the writer just not even consider this kind of stuff. Because it seems that at this point in time that there are other things that the writers are considering. You know, but but these are important. I don't know if these are important things. These are going to make the reader go, wait a minute, what? So 
I really also find sort of Lorna's arc troubling. I mean, the the familial allegiance is something they've played with before. The concept of allegiance, especially with female characters, they especially feel allegiance. They feel obligation. I mean, Scarlet Witch, they've played with before, like feeling beholden. The concept of being beholden is a thing. Mm -hmm. um, but also the concept of familial connection they've also used before. Um, but she didn't even know who her dad was. And now that she knows who her dad is, she's like, oh, well, I guess I have to be loyal to him. Yeah, that whole thing really rubbed me the wrong way. Just, you know, because my own personal experiences like it. I didn't like that. You know, it just seemed like a tool that they pulled out and it, it kind of felt to me like they were trying to beat a screw with a hammer. You know, it just it was the wrong tool to use in the context of what was happening. But mm -hmm. I don't know if they could have realistically kept her there story wise story wise any other way. Like she, cause she needed to be in the next issue. So she needed to stick around this issue, but they could have found a smarter way to do it. I think. Yeah. They just went go. with what was easiest and it didn't mm -hmm. work. They will, um, in the next issue, do something with Magneto. That's a little bit cooler writing wise. And it's like, it's possible to to do a little better like just a tiny bit better and so just the idea of just of her having enough agency to just be curious about her dad like that being enough to just being like not wanting to even if he is kind of sketchy even if he is kind of scary like just being so glad to have found him like that being enough to not want to just cut and run like couldn't that have been like enough to keep her in the issue like you know like and, and stay like especially if they had at any point been like oh i don't know i've never known who my dad was and i've always wondered because like my mom refused to tell me or my mom died when i was young so you know i didn't i didn't have a family if it's something like that if they had added that to her backstory that that would have been a, a very easy di digestible thing to do oh yeah totally i love this conversation <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I love the fact that we've already talked about how we like Storenko's art and we're stoked he's on the book. I think overall we've talked about how cool it was that they finally brought in Lorna Dane. I just feel like we agree and yet we still kind of disagree on some things. It's, it's just interesting conversation. Final thoughts on this before we move into the backup story? I have two because I have yeah. one that I, I, I have in bold in my notes specifically for Rob. And nope. it's on page nine, last panel. You see the art there, Rob? You see Angel no. with his, he's got, he's all sweaty faced and he's scared <laughs> yeah. and he's trying to retreat. He's like, oh no, we need to retreat. We're about to die. I'm so scared. Well, Rob, didn't you say that he was the bravest X-Men? <laughs> Professor X is. said that to be fair. <laughs> Professor X said he was the bravest. Yeah, there, thanks, Shane. Um... <laughs> okay, and here's, here's another weird little piece. Like, yeah. so... They've drawn the picture on this page, page nine, panel three. Jean Grey is kind of being, it, she's being attacked by pieces of metal. Mm. And, um, it, you know, Magneto is uh, draw, uh, throwing all this metal at her. So her wall of mineral energy has collapsed. First, it says she's burying, he says he's burying her in a tidal wave of scrap iron, but it's coming up her. I'm sorry, what? It's, it's, it's moving yep. up her legs not mm. crashing down on her and there is no way that that small amount of metal that is currently hitting her could be considered a tidal wave i think he's anticipating <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna bury her this, this there's gonna be a big wave of it it's eventually gonna happen <laughs> with the exception of her left it. hand with the exception of her left hand i really like the art in that panel though mm -hmm. but Yes, and then and then my my second thing I wanted to say is back on page five, jumping around, because Bobby Bobby had a line that was just so bad that it was amazing. 
my note is, Bobby, what the hell kind of pickup line is, quote, I need this icy protection against a warm hunk of girl like you, end quote. Oh, <laughs> no. Wow. It's just so bad. Oh, I actually, wow. I, I, th I thought of one, <laughs> one other good thing from that I really liked from this issue. Um, and it was kind of going back to what Shane had said earlier about, about speech boxes in mm -hmm. this issue. Um, I don't remember what page it is at the moment. I could, I could probably find it, but we had like telepathic speech bubbles boxes that looked different. Like you could tell that this wasn't normal speech, but it was still speech, which was really cool. Like we haven't seen that before. Like it, it very much felt like a, like a modern comic book in that regard. Oh, that was on, on page seven. And then another thing that we saw um, box wise was back on page five again. And we actually had like narrative boxes that weren't editors boxes, but they were, they were narrating the story instead of the X-Men just verbally saying what they're doing. And like, that was super refreshing. Yeah. Those were both yeah. really cool. There were some nice little things that changing, um, changing form of the book itself that were really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, e even down to like panel layouts, you know, um, how the panels fit together in the book. I think, I think visually it's really becoming an, an interesting, you know, an interesting comic. Yeah. Um, we're getting away from the standard, like just two, two by two by two grids that we've yeah seen pretty much this whole time. There's been a couple um, of issues where it's not that, but primarily. Well, and we also know that the rule right now is that you have to write like Stan and you have to draw like Jack Kirby. Yeah. And uh, and if you can't do that, you're out. You know, in the medical field, the collapsing ceiling temporarily paralyzes Magneto's legs. Mm -hmm. They don't quite explain how the ceiling paralyzed his legs or how he knew it would only be temporary. Yeah. Magnetism I, and mutant healing in, factors. Yeah. There you go. Mutant healing factor. I think in the real world, it would have been because his spinal column was broke. His back was broken. His spinal, you know, it, well, comic books, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, <laughs> mutant healing factor wins over. Yes, yes, indeed. Absolutely. At some point they have to go, wow, we're still writing this for kids. So we can't really break magneto's back but you know <laughs> and then in the 90s all bets are off batman all bets are off yeah oh Batman. And we'll get there eventually um so should we head into the backup yeah. did you have any other thoughts on it really or rob I mean you guys didn't have any last minutes oh no i stuck mine in the middle uh, <laughs> okay I, I think it's i think it's cool that bobby actually stood up and and was gonna you know kind of step forward and uh you know he was pissed enough to do something pissed enough to fight to fight cyclops and uh, again it's out of character for bobby but i think it's pretty cool and it would be nice to see bobby developed in that way so like this would if this were a new direction to take the character in, then and then just run with it that would be awesome uh it doesn't really work out that way unfortunately in the books well let's go ahead and move on to the backup story this is the lure of the beast snappers Written by Arnold Drake, penciled by Werner Roth, inked by John Tartaglioni, and lettered by Herb Cooper. The Conquistador, everybody's favorite supervillain, uh, tests Hank McCoy's power, then captures him and his parents. Already the X-Men are en route to help. El Conquistador tells him to, he tells him, join me or I kill your parents. Now that is about the story. That's pretty much about what we have in the few few pages that we get. But what do you guys think about this one? I have questions. Yes. <laughs> Let's hear them. I would like to know what aspect of the beast's powers could possibly power a machine of ultimate destruction. Yeah, that was weird. Mm-hmm. I just kind of rolled with that, but it was always in the back of my head of like, what, what is like, he's just a, he's just a dude. He just jumps high and kicks he, things. El Conquistador, and talks a lot. 
Yeah. The conquistador does kind of make a comment too, that this is pretty much the only guy they could do. They can use for this job. He's the only guy that can, can pull this off. And it's like, really? They made it make sense in the next issue, but it was still very confusing for this issue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we only get five pages, so we don't really get any answers, you know, in this little bit. Yeah, they're so short. It's like you got the you got the intro and the cliffy. Yeah. <laughs> that is it. Right. <laughs> I mean, we saw the cliffy coming before the intro was over, you know. Um and that weird weird that weird sword. The Yeah. The trident. The, 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 the sword that turns into a trident. Yeah. And then at some point he's holding it by the blade of the sword instead of on the hilt. Yeah. 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 So so my question here is are we to assume that the conquistador is a mutant? I don't know. I, I don't haven't know. figured that out. I mm -hmm. it seems I like all of his powers are some sort of pseudoscience. Yeah. I'm just worried about Hank's parents. I'm worried they're gonna get mind wiped. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> you know that's coming. 100%. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, you know, we, we're we not going to pronounce Charles Xavier guilty of that crime until it happens, okay? But you know it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, that story is to, to be continued. Uh, again, I, I'm pretty stoked that we got to see the Conquistador because his name has been in my head. I mean, he, he feels kind of worthless and pointless and feels like we're never going to see him again. But, you know, I mean, outside of this, like, you know, little four or five issue story arc. But I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I was one thing that confused me about this issue was, you know, in in grand design, Toad mm -hmm. was El Conquistador's minion. Yeah. And in this issue, his minion, whose name is Chico. Chico, yeah. Does kind of resemble Toad. So mm -hmm. I was kind Much of... Much better hairdo, like, though. Yeah, I was like, how did you make that leap to, like, Chico being the minion to Toad being the minion? But also, I could see it. Yeah, I think Ed Piscor was, you know, trying to put a kind of a... Uh, he was trying to bridge, I think, the two, trying to make the conquistador a little more weighty, you know, weighty in the uh, in the mutant universe. Um, certainly, Toad isn't with Magneto, right, right now, right. Um, and he probably wasn't way in the beginning. Uh, so this, we are to assume that this is before Magneto gathered his Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, which you know makes sense. And Toad had to be following somebody, but I think it was Ed Piscor's way of just kind of connecting all the dots. Do we ever get an origin story for Toad? Honestly, I don't know. Some interesting Toad stories in future comics, um, but I don't recall an origin story at all. All right. Well, shall we go on to our next issue? Yes. Let's do it. X-Men number 52, you guys. Release date, November 12th, 1968. Cover date, January of 1969. Writing by Arnold Drake. Penciling by Werner Roth with layouts by Don Heck. Inking by John Tartaglioni. Lettering by Sam Rosen. Of course, editing by Stan Lee. The cover art is by Marie Severin and Joe Sinnott. The title of this story is Twilight of the Mutants. Right away, I just want to say Stranko's gone. What a bummer. I hate <laughs> this bit. cover. Yeah, <laughs> what a bummer. Um, tell me why you hate the cover, Drew. Just because it's not Steranko. And oh. <laughs> can you describe the cover for our listeners? Well, it's Eric the Red uh, in a bondage suit, and he's firing a power blast that's exploding a Roman, like the Parthenon, maybe like an old Roman temple, Greek temple, and the X Men and Magneto are caught in the explosion, and that's it. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. my that's my take on it. Yeah. Well it's, it's really the it's really the gimp suit. I don't like it. <laughs> okay. Um now I'm a little I was a little excited about this because I have known about Eric about Eric the Red. We'll read a lot of Eric the Red stuff, or at least a fair amount of Eric the Red stuff once we get into uh uh Chris Claremont's run 
well, we'll talk a little bit more about Eric the Red because there's there's something funny about him for sure. Um, so as it began last issue, Eric the Red shows up, boasting to be the most more, boasting to be more powerful than Magneto. Mesmero has his men capture Eric the Red, but Eric quickly turns the tables, causing the other mutants to run. Lorna thinks about how Eric is trying to become emperor of the mutants and also about how she has to side with Magneto because they share, they share blood and no matter what, that's what you do. Even if he's evil. Eric says he wants to join Magneto and Lorna goes and talks to her dad about it. <laughs> there's some thoughts here first. Uh, there's more to this story, but Lorna and Magneto consider that Eric is lying. Now, this is something I find cool. Because to me, it's a little more, again, some of that development. It's a little uh, kind of interesting bit of character that we don't really see. You know, all the other, when Stan Lee's writing, when a character says something, we are to believe everything they say. You just get that feeling. Yep. But here's a guy who they're talking about, like, do you believe what he's saying? I don't know if I do. So, you know, we, he could be lying. Suddenly, this is a thing that's happening in comic books. You know, villains just normally come out and tell you what they intend to do, and then heroes have to stop them. But I think this is the first time where we have a villain telling everybody what they want to do, and there's some underlying, you know, story in that. So I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. Eric leads the evil mutants while Magneto is recouping from last issue. If you remembered his, his legs were temporarily paralyzed by the ceiling crashing down on him. Mesmero doesn't like it, but he's going to go along and Lorna is getting kind of a hinky feeling from Eric. She's not feeling his evil mutant vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah. The X-Men. Yeah. The X-Men come in. And they have a run-in with Eric the Red, only to discover, only to discover what? What's the what's the big reveal here? He's not a mutant. <laughs> <laughs> Eric the Red is Cyclops. Um, oh. <laughs> now I missed I, I, that page. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is hysterical. Um. I, I have questions about Eric the Red. Okay, the suit looks like a gimp suit. I mean, it's it's not a great suit, but he's shooting these beams out of his hands. These are Cyclops' optic blasts, yeah, and they're being uh, redirected so, from his hands. That was hands. so weird. How does that work? Well, Magnetism. It's, it, yeah. <laughs> it's a specially designed suit. I want to know who designed it, where they got it, and if where they can make get more. It so quick. Well, it was a couple of weeks, wasn't it? Within the last, because you're right, he did show up on the last panel of, of the last issue, but mm -hmm. at the very top of that page, it said something like a couple of weeks later or something like that. So they had a couple of weeks to go down to you know Hate Street and pick something up. Yeah. Well, so this also goes back to the cover from last issue, where we had a big red bearded Viking on the cover. So my thought is that perhaps Starenko never knew that Eric the Red was Cyclops. Probably. I don't feel <laughs> like uh I don't feel like the you know writing team and the artistic team talked very much and given that he was only on there for two issues he probably didn't talk with anyone on the X-Men team. Yeah. But the other side of that too is that he didn't match up at all. Like he didn't they didn't bother to put a beard on him. They didn't, you know, so <laughs> like they were just like, you know, Eric the Red, like the Viking. That was probably the editorial yeah. directive. Yep. <laughs> and then they were like, uh, he, he's not going to look like a Viking. Um, maybe that nah, we'll just we'll we'll run with it. It'll be an well, Eric the Red Herring. Oh, there, yeah. Oh, look at that. Oh, look what yeah. you did there. <laughs> <laughs> well, the X-Men see somebody coming, and Cyclops set the trap. Unfortunately, it's Iceman. Mesmero jumps out and now knows the truth about the X-Men and Eric the Red. 
the evil mutants, fight the good ones. Jean fights Mesmero. Magneto asks Lorna to go get rid of the X-Men. Iceman jumps out with the info that Magneto is not really her father. He comes out and says, Magneto's not your dad. Now she's happy to hear that, and she goes to fight Magme Magneto and Mesmero. Of course, Magneto escapes, as he usually does with a self-destruct timer uh, on the base, and the X-Men with Lorna get out just in time. End of story. I loved it. I don't know about you guys, but I actually love this arc. Yeah, my my favorite thing about this was going going back to page eight, where they're setting that trap for you know Magneto or for Mesmero or whoever. They set an electrical floor trap because they're like, hey, we've got we've been got by this electrical floor a bajillion times, so we're going <laughs> to set it out for the enemies, and then instantly they capture one of their own in the trap when mm. Iceman bumbles into it. That whole <laughs> scene, the irony of that was the best part of this book. I loved it. This goes to show the X-Men are certainly prone to electric floor traps. Electric floor traps and holes. And holes. Yeah. I uh, Glass bubbles. I spoiled this for myself because on, on page 11, the third panel, he's talking about um, he being, you know, Eric the Red, I'm pretty sure. But they're talking about, oh, no, it's Mesmero. Pardon me. Uh, Mesmero was the, he he's shooting raw mutant energy at them. And so I, I I went on. I'm like, what the hell is raw mutant energy? I need to figure out what this guy's power set is because it's driving me crazy. So then I, I looked up Mesmero on the Marvel Wiki and I'm like, oh, OK, then wh what's Eric the Red's power set? Maybe that's what they're talking about. And I went to Eric the Red and spoiled that it was um, spoiled that it was, it was Cyclops for myself. Well, but Eric the was Red, okay. Eric the Red will show up in future issues of the yeah, X Men, and he I, will indeed fight Cyclops and the X Men. I spoiled that for myself too. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> but it was driving me crazy. Like they talked about raw mutant energy a bunch of times in this book, like it's a physical thing, like it's a physical force, and it was just driving me crazy because. It, they anything weird that happened they explained as oh that's just raw mutant energy it's the new magnetism yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it'll never be magnetism there were definitely some odd choices across the board in this mm -hmm. issue like all of a sudden the members of the mutant city are solid gold <laughs> and and their armor has changed uh -huh. They've got like pre-apocalypse apocalypse armor, and then yeah. you mean apocalypse now armor? <laughs> <laughs> got to go into the bush, roust them out, roust them out. Uh, no, but and then like there's some odd poses, like on page six when Gene is calling the team to her. It's I would I I don't understand why she's sitting on the chair the way she is. And why is Beast just randomly outside bending flagpoles? <laughs> Who knows? It's just Beast does weird shit like that. Yeah, it's just that everyone took some quaaludes and <laughs> just, I don't know, man. I just don't know. And that just, that's odd things that are happening in here. Like, so I can't, I since what you said about Lorna, you know, she mentioned his. What the quote was, she has that he does not give off evil vibrations. Oh, about Eric the Red? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, where does one get evil vibrations? Is there like well, a store? Is there like, you know, <laughs> is, is, are there Nega Beach Boys singing about evil vibrations? You know, also, I, I don't know. I think you should consider this, though, Shane. It, Lorna has the same power set as her not dad, Magneto, which is magnetism. And you can do all sorts of things with it. I mean, she could probably send her astral form to walk on the floor of the ocean if she wants. <laughs> and hey, you then, know, if Cyclops yeah. can have telepathy, if Cyclops can read minds in this issue, Lorna Dane can do whatever she wants. Wait, he can read minds? What? Uh, it was uh, page seven, fifth panel, according to my notes. Maybe I wrote Cyclops and Mint Magneto because that's Magneto in that panel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, Magneto probably can Magneto. totally read. Yeah, he can yeah. totally read minds. Got it. 
That's all magnetism too. Well, well, that's an embarrassing note, faux pas. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and I did, I did notice that Arnold, uh, Mr. Drake had um, decided to try and step up the, the verbiage, uh-huh. but yep. instead, instead of making the beast more verbose, he made everyone talk like they were in a junior high production of Camelot. Page three, there's Mesmero. It's the first, second, third, fourth, fifth panel. That stand your ground, soldiers of Magneto. Our own supernatural powers can turn back this disaster. Then there's a weird rum-bum-boom. No, we have waited too long. The die is cast. There is naught to do but... Moving to another panel in one of the most awkward phrasings. Run for your lives! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. If only there was a you know a, a an actual editor <laughs> doing doing the Lord's work and editing the book, editing the book. Although I well. do, I will say, I will say, I I I have to disagree with Drew that Cyclops is the bondage king is my favorite Scott Summers costume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here. It, it beats the nineties <laughs> outfit hands down. I, I don't know, like like a one piece bicycle suit slash bustier is weird. Or bicycle bicycle shorts, bicycle seat. Why did I say that? Bicycle shorts, bustier. <laughs> oh, you know what's interesting? Someone's never been to the Folsom Street Fair. Make no. a, make Eric the Red look like he's a, he's going to work at Wendy's. I am a sheltered <laughs> child, thank you. What's interesting <laughs> when I see these kind of costumes, um, they always look metallic to me. Like they shouldn't be movable because they look like metal. Um, you, you see it as a bicycle suit. I don't know why I always see these outfits as like some made out of some kind of hard material. This, this one's definitely made out of latex. <laughs> <laughs> There's always been interesting things like that for the longest time. I thought that Mr. Sinister might be related to Colossus because the chest plate yeah. had the same lines and it was like, I didn't realize that his white face just was him being really pasty. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, um, I think you're right. I think it's, I think it's latex. Uh, <laughs> now, did we see what happened to Mesmero in this? Did he just vanish? Did he get lost in the uh, collapse of the, or the explosion? And They don't, I don't really like page seven. He's running around and we have to, I have a note here. I have a note here that says, um, stand your ground. And then it says, run. Yeah, that was like page three. It was, yeah, that was just like within two panels. He's like, come on, man, fight it out. Get away. Mesmero is on the last panel of page 14. Okay. So, which is the second to last page of this book. So, yeah. Well, he does show up later, of course. Now, yeah. I got a question, Shane. Did you did did you ever really know a whole lot about Mesmero? No, I had. So I hadn't read these earlier books when I started reading the X Men. So yeah. Well, he does show up. I mean, like I said, he does show up yeah. later. In fact, I think he's probably in some of Claremont's run, early Claremont run. Yeah. Um, I I just I remember seeing him around in the Mar- the whole Marvel big picture. I remember seeing X Men art. There was a great Jim Lee poster that had a bunch of uh, X Men villains, and I think it was titled, um, you know, something about what's to come. And it's like this is what you can expect the X Men to come across in the future when when Jim Lee's doing the X Men. Uh huh. And Mesmero was in that picture. But I certainly don't remember him popping up around there. It was like they decided not to use him. You know, it was a vague but, plan. Yeah, a vague plan. Well, I remember. I, know, I think the yeah. one I remember him most from was probably actually a reprint of this story, but mm-hmm. it was an issue of Classic X Men mm-hmm. had a Mike Magnola cover, 
Right. Yeah, what a great like cover a, that was. Yeah, being green background and like the beast is falling away and Mesmero's like got his arms outstretched and it's really early Mike earlier Mike Magnolia work and it's great. But yeah. that's that's the most I remember of him. Um I think if it was classic X-Men, it was likely early Claremont. It might have been the circus episode. I think at one point he had a circus and the X-Men were captured. Oh, you know what? That might be right. Yeah. Um, But, and I think that might be basically as much as I had read about him back then, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I've always wanted to to kind of get where he's coming from and see what you know, see him at his best. I think it's cool that he's like Magneto's second in command here, running a whole city of mutants. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, no, it's really cool. So, um, there were some odd odd choices in the art too. Like all of a sudden, Jean is using her hands to use her powers, but in mm-hmm. really weird ways. Like she throws one arm up over her head. And does like the weird magician's assistant kind of thing. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. wait, but interesting, interesting choices again. When it comes to those choices, I still hold on to this, and I I want to do like a I want to you remember the old no prize where if there's a mistake in the book, somebody could write in and kind of give an explanation for it, and they win a no prize. Uh-huh. I want to know how is it that Scott can use this suit, where it came from why and how he came up with the name Eric the Red. Um <laughs> how he can shoot I beams through his palms, you know, that kind of stuff. Um it may show up later, who knows, but maybe not. I'm I'm guessing probably not. No, probably not. One thing that I found interesting, and you guys feel free to correct me if I'm wrong about this because I might have just missed it. But in the whole 15 pages of this story, I don't think Jean once used her telekinesis she was strictly using telepathy in this entire issue yep which i thought was interesting it's a new power man she's loving it she's gonna mess around with it and try to use it in different ways she might even forget about her old powers that's all well and good but it it seems like a waste to only utilize half her power set and especially like when she's not using the half of her power set that she's trained extensively on yeah, you know, she's probably way more proficient at this point with telekinesis than telepathy, and she just sure. ignored it. Well, should we go on to the backup story? Yes. Yep. Okay. The Crimes of the Conquistador, written by Arnold Drake, penciled by Werner Roth, inked by John Verporten, lettered by Sam Rosen, and edited by Stan Lee. In this issue, the Conquistador gets Hank to break into a military base to steal a gizmo. That will boost his evil powers, which basically it's it's an experimental nuclear reactor. A portable nuclear reactor. Yeah. And that makes it's a like whole a, lot of sense. It's like a fission reactor. It's weird. Yeah. The X-Men catch on, but before they can do anything, Hank steals it and gives it to the Conquistador. Uh, that's essentially the story. I mean, that's what we get in five pages after he gives them the the device he asks el conquistador hey let my parents go now because this is our agreement and then of course that doesn't happen yeah yeah because you can't trust those bad guys i mean what did the five singers say to the face slap (laughs) how (laughs) wow well that that is, I don't know. I, I feel like we're getting somewhere with this story. I still have no questions answered about who the conquistador is, what powers he has, if he's a mutant, and uh, you know, uh, and who knows about Chico. Yeah. Well, on that on that note, so basically, Beast scaled a wall, leapt over a wall, leapt over some traps, stole this this fission reactor or whatever it is, and then jumped over the wall and escaped escaped the guards with his agility and came back if this if chico had been towed he wouldn't need beast mm-hmm. right so <laughs> so putting chico would be doing all that right so putting toad in grand design kind of erases this story which i found interesting 
Yeah, interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. I kind of want to go back and reread Grand Design again. You know what I found interesting about this story? What? How a beast forgot that Conquistador had his parents hostage from the last panel of the last issue. If you want to know something, I kind of forgot that too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll understand, like, for a dude that's tied to a chair, Beast is moving around an awful lot in this book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, you know, um, I've been tied to a chair or two, and I, I feel like I was pretty much in place once that happened. Just a chair. Were you wearing a gimp suit? For the sake of this story, <laughs> just a chair. <laughs> now I have so many more questions. Um, <laughs> Let's stick to the reading, sir. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, what are your thoughts so far on this story arc as a whole? I mean, what, what do you think? And, and I want to know what you think about El Conquistador, too. I really liked the first part where Beast mm -hmm. was on the football team. I felt that that one was really well put together. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. Yeah, really. And it fell apart really quick. Um, it did. <laughs> Conquistador looks like um, Doug number three from the Punisher miniseries. Uh, maybe he was a model or possibly, you know, took up a different career after the whole being a Conquistador didn't work out for him. <laughs> his career as a conquistador failed and you know, well, he needed to have a backup plan yes indeed the the sword trident thing seems wholly unnecessary uh-huh although i don't i don't think so it's really the only power he has so he he has to have it it's unnecessary but cool yeah. So that means it's necessary. I don't know. I think it looks a little silly. I don't know how cool it is. <laughs> it's the thing is, is it's one of those things that would break really quick, right at like right after he got it home from the Kmart, because he would be sitting in the car pushing the button to make it go from sword to trident all the way home. And then it would be like, oh, son of a bitch. You think it was a blue light special? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> And it's probably the last one, so you can't return it and get another. That's right. How about you, Rowan? I feel like these stories are overly complicated. Yeah. <laughs> Accurate. That sums it up. <laughs> Rowan had this interestingly smug look on her face when she said that. She's... That is just my face. Yeah. <laughs> that is just my face. I think it's cool that we're learning the backstories of the characters. Um, it, and I think what's happening is here they're definitely writing them in the style of stan lee um i am not in the camp where i think that that's i'm not in the camp that think that's a good idea i think you know kind of branching out and you know reaching out beyond the box of stan lee is probably a good idea uh, yeah you know i don't know do you think that and i'm not i'm not saying this i as i think this is what's happening and he's shitty for doing it this is an honest question uh -huh. do you think that they're being written in the style of stan lee or do you think that that there is an editorial oversight that is going on that is no so so according to the book that i'm currently reading this uh marvel the untold story by mm -hmm. sean sean Howe, i believe it is indeed a rule in house that the books need to be written like Stan writes and they need to be drawn like Jack Kirby draws. It's, okay. it's, it's actually a rule and it's Shitty to keep rule. everything, you know, just to keep the continuity of the art style to keep, you know, they want the X-Men to look like the X-Men. Uh, forget the fact that, you know, one dresses in a red bondage suit and no longer looks like an X-Men, but <laughs> you know, but that's what's happening. I kind of think it's weird that Stan isn't writing these five page stories, to be honest, because like it's only five mm. pages. It's, uh -huh. you know, it's it's an issue's worth of work. It's 20 pages generally told over four issues. So five five pages of work for a month. Mm -hmm. I think Stan could do that. And clearly he wants it to be his writing. So why isn't he just doing it? No, well, he had a lot going on at this time besides already still writing comics. 
he uh i believe this was the era of the saturday morning cartoons or the 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 marvel cartoons that were being aired and i think he had something to do with those um he had his hand in a lot of different pots you know uh trying to spread his stanliness out amongst various uh avenues you know you make it so, sound so dirty yeah <laughs> He was definitely a busy man, that's for sure. That was episode 31 of House of X Book Club. Next episode, we're going to go ahead and cover something that's not X-Men. We're going to talk about Fantastic Four number 62. It's a little trip back in time, and it has no X-Men in it whatsoever. The reason why we're going to be reading that is because it is... The first appearance of Blastar. And I say that because I say Blastar because there are two A's in his name. We're going to be reading Fantastic Four number 62 and then X-Men number 53 so that we can read his final appearance. I enjoyed him and hopefully you guys will too. So uh, I guess we'll see you then. Bye. Toodles. Toodles.